My name is Jeremy, and I have the honor and privilege of serving as one of the pastors here at Solid Rock, uh, particularly with regard to our student ministry. And uh, speaking of that, I would like to take a few moments just to share how God has been working not only in our student ministry, but in our kids' ministry as well. Over the last year, we have mentioned several great things that God has been doing in these ministries, how he has been working with our kids and Blake and, 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 and student ministry with myself. And even a time whenever these ministries were shut down, kids' ministry has been shut down for a while now, um, student ministry was shut down for a period of time, um, but we wanted to celebrate everything that God had been doing. You know, it'd be easy for uh, either Blake to take the credit or myself to take the credit, but, but we just want to give all that glory and honor to God for how he has taken care of us. Uh, speaking of, we are excited about a baptism in our kids' ministry that's going to be happening during our third service. So, you know, when you leave here, go grab some breakfast and come up here during the third service, and we're going to see a little one baptized, which is super awesome. And additionally, we are really thankful for the fact that we're going to be rolling out full student and kids ministry, uh, including Sundays and Wednesdays whenever we get this new building opened up. So God is just working powerfully, and I hope you're excited about that. We're excited about that and being able to see how God is raising up our next generation to be able to love and serve him. Amen? All right, well, I'm excited to be able to open God's Word with you today as we continue in this Gospel of John series. If you have your Bible, please take it and, and turn to John chapter 11. Um, we're going to be looking at the passage that, that Mike read earlier. Thank you, Mike. Um, and if you weren't here last week, I, I do think it's important for me to give you a little recap. So last week, we looked at the death of Lazarus. And, and more than that, we saw how Jesus rightfully declared to, the, to Martha that um, he was the resurrection and the life. And although Jesus is absolutely correct in this declaration that he makes, it doesn't negate the fact that Jesus was also deeply affected by the death of his friend. And that's what I want us to focus on today. So before we see what that looked like, uh, I want to pray once more, just ask God to, to take care of his word this morning, to speak through me powerfully, and for our hearts to be, um, to, be, to be excited to be able to receive God's word today. So let me pray once more. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for these people. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be able to preach this morning. I, I pray that I would make much of who you are. And I pray that you would speak through me, not that it be my words, but your words through myself. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be able to worship here at Solid Rock today. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Well, in, in order to help us understand this passage, again, I want to recap what happened last week. So if you look at the beginning of chapter 11, we see that there was this man named Lazarus. And John tells us that this man named Lazarus was sick. And Lazarus was the brother of two people who were named Mary and Martha, who were Christ followers, who loved Jesus. And we see that Lazarus wasn't just anybody. Lazarus was actually a personal friend of Jesus. In fact, in verse 3, Mary and Martha, they send a message to Jesus that their brother is sick, and they say to him, he whom you love, Jesus, is sick. And they wanted him to come and do something about this sickness. And when you read further in chapter 11, we actually see that Lazarus eventually dies. And Jesus has deliberately 
waited, and he shows up days later, and then he has this interaction with Martha, one of the sisters. And that's where we saw last week Jesus making this claim, this truthful claim, that he was the resurrection and the life. And he point blank asks Martha, do you believe this? And she says, yes, Lord, I believe. And then in verse 28, where we're going to pick up this morning, Jesus is now going to request to see the other sister, Mary. And so let me read verses 28 through 32 as we move on through this passage this morning. And when she had said this, this is Martha, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she, Mary, heard it, she rose quickly and went up to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to see where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, as you would expect, Mary is pretty shaken up. Her brother Lazarus had just died days before, and not only that, it seems as though she and her sister Martha had expected Jesus to heal Lazarus. And I don't know if you noticed it in verse 28, but it says that Martha in private told her sister Mary that Jesus wanted to see her. Uh, Additionally, John specifically mentioned verse 30 that that Jesus did not come into the village. So why the secrecy? Why this private meeting, even though these Jews had followed her, thinking she was going to go and mourn at the tomb? Well, although it, it doesn't say it in the text, I think Jesus desired to speak to the hearts of the true mourners in this situation. Mary and Martha those who had lost their brother. Jesus knew the anguish. Jesus knew the sadness that she was feeling at this moment, and he wanted to be with her. And so when she gets there, she she sees Jesus. She falls down at his feet, seemingly overcome with emotion, even more overcome with emotion than Martha had been previously. And she says to him, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. That was her response. I don't know about you, but I know I have found myself in a position before that Mary was in. I know that I found myself in a position where I had a loved one whose health was not good. Perhaps you've been in that situation so much so that maybe they had been sick for a really long time and you had complete faith that Jesus would just intervene. If he would, everything would be okay. And so you prayed and you prayed and you prayed. You implored for your loved one to be healed, yet for some reason, they weren't healed. And you found yourself at a place wondering, Jesus, why? Why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? And then, and then doubt begins to creep in, doesn't it? And we start having all these questions. Does Jesus understand how overcome I am by this situation? Does Jesus even get what I'm going through? Does Jesus see how difficult this is? Have you ever found yourself in that situation before? 
Well, friends, let me tell you, Jesus understands. Jesus gets what you're going through. Jesus knows what your struggle is. And evidence of that is going to be seen in these next verses, verses 33 through 35. So take a look at the text with me, starting verse 33. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. You know, it's, it's important to note the, the powerful language that is used here as it relates to how Jesus responded. First, when, when Jesus saw Mary and how overcome with emotion she was, that she was weeping, and the Jews that had accompanied her were also weeping, the text says that he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Well, the Greek word here for deeply moved, or some translations use the word groan, literally means to snort like an angry horse. Did you know that? I know, it seems kind of silly, right? And so when I was going through this, and this is the first time I had seen this before, I, I, was, I was researching, I was thinking, well, that's weird. Like, why would it say that Jesus was angry here? Why would it say that Jesus was overcome with emotion to the point where he had this righteous anger. Well, I think it's because Jesus recognized that this death that happened to Lazarus was a result of sin in the world. And Jesus was angry about the tyranny of sin and death. Jesus was angry that his friend Lazarus had to experience this, this physical death as a result of sin entering the world so many years ago. You know, it reminds me of what Paul said in Romans chapter 5. He says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. But, but notice, too, that's not the only response that he has. Notice, too, the next response. Even the, the, the more pertinent response is that he, after asking where Lazarus had been, the text says that Jesus wept. You know, I remember as a kid reading John eleven thirty five, 35, Jesus wept, and, and I remember not thinking anything of it really. You know, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, okay, he cried, so what? But church, we cannot miss how powerful these words are. We cannot miss how powerful it is that Jesus wept over this situation. I would argue that these two words are some of the most powerful words in all of the Bible. Why? Because Jesus shared in the grief of those who mourned Lazarus. Yet, unlike any other person, God the Son was able to do something about their grief, wasn't he? And this is what we're going to see later. But in these two words, Jesus wept, several things about Jesus are confirmed. First, Jesus was 100% man. He was able to experience that emotion. Second, there was no sin or shame in the tears that Jesus shed. You know, sometimes whenever people are upset by things, then you, 
you know, people kind of make fun or why are you even crying about this? But Jesus cried himself. Jesus was acquainted with our grief. Jesus was not ashamed of his humanity. Jesus identified with the sorrow of others. And the last thing that was confirmed most of all is that Jesus loves his people. He loves his people. I want you to listen to Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. Now, although the context of this passage is related to the sin weakness of our life, there is no doubt that Jesus sympathizes with all weaknesses that we face. Do you agree with that? And I don't know what that difficult situation is in your life that you face today, but, but one thing is absolutely certain. He sees you in your struggle. He gets what you're going through. And he knows how difficult it is. God has not forgotten you, church. As we get ready to wrap up this morning, look at verses 36, 37. The Jews who, who were there with Mary, who had accompanied her to the tomb, they respond. Look at verse 36. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? You know, there's two different responses here from this group of Jews. First, in verse 36, we see some of them say, see how he loved him. They recognized that, that Jesus loved Lazarus. It was the same word that was used earlier in verse 3 whenever Martha and Mary had sent this message to Jesus saying, hey, the one that whom you love is, is sick. It's the same word here. And, and by his tears, they seemed to recognize the deep affection that Lazarus had for Jesus and Jesus had for Lazarus. However, in, in verse 37, there's another response that we see which is not so heartfelt. Sure, they, they recognize the power that Jesus possessed since they referenced this previous miracle that Jesus had done healing a blind man. However, the basis of their comment is criticism. The crowd here, clearly familiar with this time in which Jesus had healed this blind man, they make the common sense assumption that if Jesus had wanted to, he could have prevented Lazarus from dying. And I think far too often mankind is quick to think that they know what Jesus is going to do and how Jesus should act. Right? You ever been there before? 
Have you ever been there, uh, you know, questioning what, what, what God does? God, why, why didn't you do it like this? Or God, I, I, I don't understand why you didn't do it like that. that. That's what mankind tries to do. We try to, to direct the way that God should respond in various situations, and we just, we just don't have the right to be able to do that. You know, although this was a, a difficult situation, so much so that Jesus identified with the grief of others and he even expressed it in, in, in himself, there was a greater good that was going to eventually take place. And we're going to talk about that next week. But they failed to see what God saw. They failed to have the foreknowledge that, that God had. You know, I... I'm reminded of this very truth that God knows more than I do. I'm reminded by that because of something that happened in my life on November 26th, 2014. It was Thanksgiving Day. I was at my mom's house back in Odessa where I grew up. And I got a phone call that my best friend had died in a car accident. Thanksgiving Day. And he was 25 years old. 17 years we had been friends. And last night I, I was reading the short message that I had the privilege to be able to deliver at his funeral. And I was thinking about that time. And, and what you don't know is, is Michael lived a hard life. Michael made a lot of poor decisions. His mom died when he was very young. He was never the same. But just seemed like when, when things were going good, he would go down this path and things were not going good. And I just remember having so many conversations with him. Michael, what are you doing, buddy? I remember the last time I saw him, we were at a coffee shop in Dallas. I can't drive by there without getting emotional. And what was pretty cool is he was just starting to really turn his life around. He'd gotten a job with FedEx. And he loved that job. He like delivered packages like it was the greatest job in the world. But then it was not long after he started going in the direction that was a good one that God took him. God took him home. And, and it was so easy to question why God would do that. God, he, he was just now starting to turn his life around. He was so young. Why on earth would you take my friend, who was also a brother, and an uncle. But I was reminded six years ago, and I'm reminded today of God's words in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. I want you to listen to this. You've probably heard it before. God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We're also reminded in Romans chapter 8 that those plans that God has have the purpose that is for our good. And I know, I know that not everybody's grief-causing situation is like my friend Michael's situation, but it doesn't change the fact that we have to trust the thoughts and ways of God above our own. 
still, even when we go through these hard things, these struggles, believe the promise, believe the truth that Jesus walks with us every step of the way. And as we land here this morning and and the worship team gets ready to to come back up, I want to submit to you some reflection questions, some things to think about as we unwrap or excuse me, unpack and finish up this this sermon. It's it's very likely that in this room there are people who are going through some hard things. It is very likely that there are people in this room who find themselves overcome with grief and with emotion and with sorrow this morning. So my first question to you is this. Do we find ourselves greatly troubled over sin and death like Jesus was? Now, I realize that that is not the, the typical question that your mind goes to whenever you're dealing with hard things, but we cannot lose sight of the fact that all the junk that happens in the world is the result of sin. It's not God's fault, even though we like to blame him sometimes. How do I know that? Well, the Bible tells me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, it says that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. We have to make sure that it is not God who we are blaming, but instead we are blaming the author of sin, who is Satan. And this should cause us to be mindful of our own sin as well. Question number two, have you been deeply moved by grief in your life or the lives of loved ones around you? You know, Jesus was so deeply moved because of the result of of what happened to Lazarus that he wept. God in the flesh shed tears on behalf of his friend. Like, that's powerful. That makes me think of the ones that say that God is this distant being that doesn't have anything to do with our lives. (laughs) Look at this. That's not true. Jesus is there with you. He is walking through those struggles with you. And I think it's so easy to kind of push down our grief and to pretend like everything is okay. But church, we can't do that. And let me tell you, I'm the worst. Ask staff members here. You know, my go-to phrase, how are you doing? Living the dream. So I say every time. Or if I was any better, I'd be twins. People are like, what does that even mean? <laughs> what it means is I, I, I won't be transparent and vulnerable. And, and I'm doing it wrong. I, I confess that to you. I got struggle in my life. I need to be talking to somebody. I got grief in my life. I can't be pushing it down. It's okay to be deeply moved by the circumstances of life. It's okay to weep because of your hard situation or the hard situation of somebody else. And last question is this, what grief, sadness, or pain do you need to take to Jesus so that he can share in it with you? And really think about that. It is no lie that we live in a world right now where there is just a lot of ugliness happening. And I don't know what that hard thing is that you're going through, but you know what? Jesus does. 
He does. Take it to him. Be honest with how you're feeling. Then I would encourage you to talk to someone you trust. You know, one thing I appreciate about this church is this kind of core value of community that we have here, where transparency is encouraged. Be transparent with somebody in your community group, in this church, an elder, a staff member. We're going to have an opportunity to do that in just a moment. And if you're not experiencing grief in your life right now, praise God for that. But I would also encourage you then to be available to someone who is. Because we are called to share in the struggles of life together. So also, if there's some other way in, in which God is calling you to take that next step as far as this church is concerned, whether it's baptism or how to become a Christian or to receive prayer or whatever, I, I, I ask, I implore you to please find an elder at the end of our service. They have, they have lanyards on, a staff member as well. Like we are here to serve and love you. But friends, let me tell you, Jesus is weeping for whatever your struggle is. And he's there to comfort you He's there to take care of you, and he's there to remind you that you're not alone. Let's pray. Father God, indeed it is true that we go through hard things in our life. Even Jesus, the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent one, God in the flesh went through hard things. The death of his friend affected him deeply. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for a savior that we can relate to. Who again is not some distant being uninvolved in our life, but is there with us every step of the way, Lord. And so as we come to this point in the service where we are encouraged to respond, would we be honest with where we're at? Would we be honest about the struggles that we may be facing? Would we find an elder? Would we find somebody we trust to be honest to and to be vulnerable to about those struggles? But to remember, Lord, that no matter what we face, you are bigger than that. You will take care of us. You sustain us. You have knowledge that we don't have. And so even in that difficult situation, would we, at the core of who we are, continue to trust you? Continue to trust that you're in control. Continue to trust that there's a greater purpose that you have for whatever we're going through. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the people in it. Would you bless our time together as we continue to worship?